Welcome to a brand new episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and mine is just one of several voices you'll be hearing on this episode as we pay tribute to the passing of yet another Star Wars legend. On November 28th, David Prowse, the Bristol-born bodybuilder and actor who played Darth Vader in the original Star Wars trilogy, passed away. A cause of death was not immediately revealed, though it was said that he had been hospitalized for several weeks due to Alzheimer's. A few days later, Prowse's daughter, Rachel, said that her father died of complications from COVID-19. When I heard that he died, I wanted to do something to memorialize him. Because it's freaking Darth Vader. He is arguably the most important character in the Star Wars franchise, possibly the most iconic and memorable villain to ever appear on screen. And yet, honoring someone like David Prowse is not as simple as honoring Carrie Fisher when she died four years ago. How do you talk about David Prowse's performance when, by the nature of Darth Vader, the things an audience member needs to form an emotional connection with the character or the actor are denied? For instance, you can't hear him talk. Prowse's heavily accented voice was famously overdubbed for Vader's dialogue by James Earl Jones, who has, on his own, one of the most iconic voices of all time. We also never see Prowse's face. It's covered by the helmet, so we get no eyes, no facial cues, no furrowed brow, no wry smirk. Even the one time they take the helmet off at the end of Return of the Jedi, they cast somebody else as old-ass dying Anakin Skywalker. Come on, Lucas, you couldn't let David Prowse do Darth Vader's death scene? So what are we left with besides a body clothed in heavy black armor and robes? Honestly, I don't think it's fair to judge an actor's performance under these conditions, but David Prowse wasn't a normal actor anyway. He was a bodybuilder and competitive weightlifter. When he transitioned to film and TV work, it was for his physical stature, which is why he played Frankenstein's monster in several Hammer horror films and other parts where he could be large and imposing. That was, in fact, what drew the attention of George Lucas, that Prowse was six foot six, almost two meters tall, And when you put him in black armor and stand him next to petite Carrie Fisher and cadaverous Peter Cushing, he's going to look like a mountain of black metal that's utterly terrifying. So, for this episode, I reached out to a couple of friends from the network and our ever-expanding podcast community to ask about their favorite Darth Vader moments or memories that focus more on the character's physicality, the body language, the action the things that made Vader so menacing and so mystifying without Mufasa's voice. Luckily for me, a few of them had other stories to tell about David Prowse beyond his performance as Darth Vader, so you'll hear those too. I'll introduce each of my guests before you hear their voice, and at the end we'll take a promo break, and then I'll address the listener comments from the last episode. Darth Vader, he's Baron Frankenstein's monster, He's been one of the most fearsome figures in many horror films, and yet he's also the Green Cross Codeman. Coming out from behind his many terrifying masks is one of the nicest men you'd ever wish to meet, David Prowse. when I told my children that I wasn't going to be talking to Douglas Fairbanks tonight, that instead I was going to be talking to you, they were absolutely thrilled. They said, Darth Vader? Uh, Actually, one of them said Darth Vader, and the other one said, the Green Cross Man? Which do you prefer to be known as? Uh, I like both, actually. Mm. And it's it's very interesting, because uh, when I became Darth Vader, uh, or at least when the Star Wars film came out, I almost got the sack uh, from the government, because they thought that my image as... Um, Darth Vader would have a detrimental effect on my image as the Green Cross Codeman. But in fact, the reverse has been the case. Well, I must say, you do look slightly different in both roles, to say the least. How did you get 
this amazing part in, in Star Wars? Well, I'd had a, a long history of playing monsters. Um, oh, I see. I, had, I was playing uh, Frankensteins, and I started at Casino Royale, then I went to the horror of Frankenstein, then I went to uh, Vampire Circus, then I finished up with doing a film called Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. And I think George Lucas had seen these uh, pictures yeah. and wanted somebody very big and physical for, for, you know, for the part in Star Wars. And when he saw me, I, I went up to the 20th Century Fox offices in London. Right. And uh, he said, well, I've got two parts which I'd like you to consider. And I said, well, what are they? And he said, well, the first one's a, a character called Chewbacca. And I said, well, what's Chewbacca? And he said, well, it's like a, a hairy-type gorilla that goes <laughs> through the film on the side of the goodies. Yeah. And I thought, well, I don't fancy that very much, George. And I said, what's the other one? And he said, well, the other one's a character called Darth Vader, who's the big villain of the film. And I said, well, look, don't say any more, George. I'll take the villain's part. And that's Same. how it all came about. The Irredeemable Shag and Rob Kelly from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So I'm not entirely sure I saw Star Wars in 1977. I know I saw it in 1978. And I know it had an incredible impact on my life. But I don't remember like a reaction to Darth Vader from that movie other than he scared the hell out of me. My brother had one of those posters you would buy. It was just, you know, like white paper with black lines printed on. You buy the markers and you color it yourself that were just all the rage in the 70s. And he had one and it was uh, it was the trench and it was a giant Darth Vader sort of over it in, you know, line drawing. And it was Darth Vader lives. And this thing sat on our wall for forever and it scared the crap out of me. But then my, my, my first, I guess I hate to say it's my first memory of Darth Vader because it's not. I mean, it's the first one I can recall, though. The first time I remember Darth Vader making an impression on me was Empire strikes back when you know they've done the whatever happens in the opening and they show the bridge of the star destroyer but as a kid i didn't process that what i saw was the back of darth vader's helmet against a starscape because he's standing in front of a window and i thought oh my gosh they made a giant ship in the shape of darth vader's head i mean <laughs> i was convinced that that was going to be the big cool ship in this movie it was a darth vader head shaped ship it clearly didn't pay off that way. But when 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 the next uh, Disney Star Wars movie does that, I'd like a royalty check, please. <laughs> but it it, uh, it really did make an impact on me. And then you know, of course, I remember later on, of course, seeing uh, A New Hope again. And you know, one of the scenes that really stood out for me for Darth Vader that you know scared the crap out of me is when he's got that guy up against the wall. And of course, it's James Earl's voice yelling that he wants the plans. But David Prowse in the in the costume throws the guy like up against the wall and like doesn't even stand around to watch the guy hit. He just turns immediately to his soldiers and starts barking orders at him. It's like, damn, that guy's scary. So that was very, very powerful for me. And then, uh, you know, I saw Empire five times in the theater as a kid. You know, as an uh, eight-year-old kid, I made my mom keep going back and back and back. And I, I would study all of his motions in Empire and the way, like, just the way he reaches out with his wrist uh, to Luke saying, you know, join me, I'm your father, all that stuff, really impacted me. And then um, Return of the Jedi, it other than the, the amazing fight, which was great with the, the lightsabers, he seems a lot more subdued to me, like when he's on the forest moon and talking to Luke. And there's some body language there that made Darth Vader almost conversational, which felt very weird for me. And it took a long time for me to accept that version of Darth Vader. Because in my mind, Darth Vader was a man of action who, who never stood still, who always was either you know, destroying or, or, or barking orders or whatever. So that, I guess... That sort of sums up the impression for me for Darth Vader was that he was uh, very active. He was a very physicality. Uh, there was a physicality to his to the character, and he was terrifying. So that was Darth Vader for me. And I still think that uh, there should be a Star Destroyer in the shape of Darth Vader's hat. <laughs> I absolutely saw Star Wars in 1977, so I can remember, uh, you know, I remember being in a theater at six years old. And seeing him for the first time, and he said he was one of the great. He's, he's one of the probably maybe the greatest villain of all time in movie history. Would anybody argue with that? I I, I mean, wouldn't. I mean, Hannibal Lecter. I mean, the the Joker now, but there are so many different versions of the Joker. So yeah, I would I would say Darth Vader. In terms of a movie creation, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, I, I just and the way and you said you talked about James Earl Jones, obviously it's so much of it is the voice, but it really was also the, the, the physical performance in that the way Vader strides through the, the opening scene that you talked about where it's Shag, where he grabs that guy and he said he tosses him like he's a bag of garbage after he's done with him. You know, this is a diplomatic mission. He's whatever. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the way he has like his hands on his hips and the way he just sort of strides into the frame, uh, that's Prowse, you know? And I, also, you know, I obviously we knew that David Prowse uh, and, you know, Star Wars was the kind of thing where you did such a deep dive that you learned the actors inside the costumes, which was not a thing you generally did as a kid because you didn't care that much. But I wanted to know all that stuff. So like 
Kenny Baker and uh, Anthony Daniels and David Prowse. Like I knew these names. And then later when I learned that David Prowse trained Christopher Reeve, uh, when Christopher Reeve got the gig to be Superman, I was like, man, this guy's involved in two of the greatest franchises ever. So I think it just was amazing that, that Prowse literally filled the suit so well and then helped another guy fill his suit. We are John and Maggie Schaefer-Hames from the Married with Comics and Married Watching Cartoons podcast, as well as the Rod Pod. And we are here to share our thoughts about David Prowse. Darth Vader is the perfect movie villain. He absolutely is. He's one of those that's greater than the sum of his parts, and all of the individual parts are amazing in their own right. The musical theme. There's his breath screen. It's scary. We can't forget, certainly, about James Earl Jones's you voice. You cannot, and it's, I mean, his skill set that you see. And his implied skill set. That's absolutely true, but without David Prowse, you know, none of the rest of that works. Right. He is one of the most iconic movie villains of all time and the weight that he brings to that character and the confidence and fearlessness moving with that cape behind him and being so menacing without being able to use facial expressions but just the way his body moves doesn't even have his own voice it's literally just his body what an interesting kind of like acting challenge that would have to be to just be the body of someone it's a great example of what david prouse brings to the table to Darth Vader, I think is embodied in one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema. Uh, it's in The Empire Strikes Back, in which Lando is about opens up the door. Darth Vader's there. You realize he's been betrayed. Han tries to shoot his way out of it, and nope, nope, that that's over with quickly. I remember being a kid the first time I saw that scene. I was probably about ten or eleven years old. My dad had been showing me Star Wars, and it got to that scene, and I was terrified when that door opened and i saw darth vader sitting there i thought everyone was going to be dead (laughs) i was convinced i was six years old i saw that in the theater and that burned its way into my retinas the door opening up and darth vader just sitting there very calmly very matter of fact he knows that he's got control over the situation everything's going coming up vader that whole scene takes 11 seconds you get more about what the threat darth vader is in those 11 seconds than arguably any other time in that movie or any of the movies. And he's he's been doing a bunch of threatening things. He's been murdering his officers. He, he led his fleet into an asteroid field, destroying one of the ships. He is on a single-minded crusade to find his son. And Prowse has been selling that through this whole movie. And part of what makes that scene scary, too, is that it's not just that Han and Leia and Chewie and 3PO, but not only have they all been caught, Vader has caught them. It is. And he is like 20 feet away from them. All of this happens with no dialogue. There's one line, famous line by uh, James Earl Jones, but we'd be honored if you'd join us. But it's all about the (laughs) presence. Yes, that David Prowse has built up all the way during A New Hope throughout Empire Strikes Back culminated in that scene. The world is a slightly dimmer place without David Prowse in it. Mark Marble from the Lantern cast. One of the interesting things about for me, I, I've seen Star Wars, the original Star Wars, at least when it came out. I saw Star Wars 13 times, I believe, in the theater. And one of, one of the scenes that I always had a hard time watching repeatedly over and over again for the longest time was when he, when Vader lifted up Captain Antilles and strangled him one-handed. Uh, pretty much that was, when you think about it, that wasn't his actual first introduction into Star Wars on screen since we saw him walk through the door of the blockade runner and kind of survey the damage. But as far as making a real impact on people, I would say that is the first, you know, the first real impact that Vader had on everyone, generally speaking. And I, I, I always remember that moment. And I think another thing that gets overlooked because of most, you know, every, obviously everybody remembers James or, or thinks of James Earl Jones's voice, but the physicality that David Prowse brought to the role, and I just don't mean like in fight scenes, which which is important too, but just the subtle, the subtleness of Vader. I mean, when you think about it, Vader is the, he is the he is the king of like the the you know the the pointing and the hand gestures and things like that that works so perfectly with. With the voice, when you really think about it, one of the things that David, that David Prowse deserves credit for, it, I think really and does get overlooked greatly, in my opinion, is the fact that it's like a seamless team. 
that it's not just a voice, it's not just the physicality and the actions, it's the combination of them both that make Vader Vader the way we think of him. So whether it's something simple as, you know, the, you know, pointing with the, I find your lack of faith disturbing, or, you know, the, a lot of the, again, pointing to Luke during the, the lightsaber duel on Bespin with the, you have learned much, young one. All things like that, I mean, I think, and then obviously the physicality in, in, in the fight scene, especially in Empire, because Empire, that, that battle, the lightsaber fight in Empire, to me, I still think is my favorite from the original trilogy. Not just because it was longer overall, I think, than the actual lightsaber fight. Not just because of the way it was cut. It just seemed it was it was longer. And it certainly was more personal on a different kind of level than what happened in Jedi. Obviously, in Jedi, Luke wasn't really trying to hurt Vader because he knew who he was. He had a different agenda. But in, in Empire, they both, you know, Vader didn't really gave zero, you know, what's about beating beating Luke down and, and destroying him, in, you know, physically and psychologically and... And Luke, up until the very end, had would have had no problem killing Vader because that you know he didn't have any idea who Vader really was. So I think the over. I, so I I think the physicality he brought to the role, and even some you know some subtleness, like in in Jedi, there was some subtleness in in like body movement that in about when Luke was getting to him about wearing wearing him down, and in his. The problems he had with the dark side and the, the duality inside Vader that he was trying to deny, but obviously we all know was there. So I think those are the, the main thoughts I have on on David Prowse. I think those he will be greatly missed. Uh, but I think one of the things, like I mentioned, I, I think in conclusion, I think the thing that is the his one of his greatest achievement achievements by playing that role and doing that role is the fact that it is a seamless transition or a partnership with James Earl Jones, that it just works really, really well. The voice and the, the physicality, the movements, and the physical, the, the imposing nature of Vader, you know, body-wise, goes hand-in-hand hand with the intimidating voice that James Earl Jones gave. So I think that's it. I look forward to talking to you and recording with you soon, and I will talk to you later. Andrew Leyland from the Palace of Glittering Delights. Dave Prowse is not Darth Vader. Well, okay, Dave Prowse was Darth Vader. But to an entire generation of British kids, Dave Prowse was also the Green Cross Codeman. Started in the late 70s and running into, I think, the early 80s, although memory tricks, and I seem to remember it going on a lot longer than that, Darth Vader himself, Dave Prowse, played a superhero whose job it was was to teach British kids how to cross the road without ending up a street pizza. He did this with a nifty little catchphrase. Stop. Look. Listen. Prowse threw himself into the part of the Green Cross Codeman. To his dying day, he said it was still his favourite gig that he'd ever had. But he wasn't just the Green Cross Codeman. He'd crop up everywhere. He's in A Clockwork Orange. He's in a couple of Hammer Horror films. He's in an infamous episode of Space 1999 where he gets hit inadvertently in the bollocks and you can quite clearly hear him say on the audio track, Oh, fuck! in his Cornish accent. It's an amusing blooper that lives on in the episode. So Dave Prowse isn't Darth Vader. And he is, sort of. But he was also Dave Prowse. R.I.P. The Green Cross Code Man. Stop. Look. Listen. Chris Franklin from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Well, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I worked at a comic book shop uh, called White Crow Comics. It was actually uh, part comic shop, part office supply store. Uh, in, in Moorhead, Kentucky. Uh, so, it was, you know, we'd have people come in and buy Magic the Gathering cards and also, you know, reams of Astro Bright paper. Uh, you know, just uh, really, really strange. Uh, but uh, the comic shop occasionally had, uh, you know, guests, had signings, and uh, we had David Prowse uh, two times while I worked there. And uh, I was his gopher uh, <laughs> for on those occasions. I essentially was... Uh, Whatever Imperial Gopher, I guess you could call me. I guess um, <laughs> I went out and got him, a, you know, lunch. I got him water. I got, you know, it, it just, uh, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was really, it was probably a good thing back then that I was, I, you know, I, I like Star Wars. I wasn't as, you know, 
Anybody that listens to Fire and Water Podcast Network knows Fire, uh, Star Wars kind of passed me by as a kid. I, I would I was I liked it, but I wasn't bitten by the bug like most of uh, the people my age, and I was kind of a late bloomer to it. And uh, it's probably a good thing because I probably would have just like totally geeked out, uh, you know, around them. So. <laughs> do you do you remember all these years later what David Prowse had for lunch those days? I don't remember. I remember him, you know, like he 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 wasn't like a prima donna or anything like that. He was, you know, he he didn't wasn't like, oh, you have to know, I have to have the water at this temperature or anything like that. I just remember he was very, you know, he you know he he was just a just you know kind of an average guy in that regards. He didn't have any delusions of grandeur or anything. And and I know you know there are some people who have had bad experiences with him at cons and. Things like that, but he was just—he um, was very courteous. I mean, he was a little reserved. He had that—he had that British reserve about him, you know, that you would expect from somebody of his generation. But I think one reason why you know I, I got along with him really well is um, you know, and I talked to him quite a bit uh, those days. Was um, I asked him, being a fan of, of, of this movie, about uh, helping Christopher Reeve get in shape to play Superman. Um, and he talked about that and he talked about that Christopher Reeve was a real nice kid and, and he really enjoyed working with him and he thought he did a great job as Superman. But then he got to talking about how he was a superhero. He was the green cross safety man, yep, uh, the, yep. the green cross safety code. And he was extremely proud of that. He said that was his favorite job. You know, he, he, he felt that that was the best role he ever played, better than Vader. Mm. Um, he, you know, he just he just lit up when he started talking about it, and uh, I had no idea what he was talking about. You know, I mean, I could imagine it, uh, but you know, that was before I could go to YouTube, and this was 1997, I think, um, seven, eight, something like that. And um, yeah, he would uh, he just he just beamed about it, you know. But I've, I've since seen pictures of him, and 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 that was actually even before. As a big Hammer buff, I was—I think I was aware he was in Hammer movies, but I hadn't seen any of those because those were some of the ones that they never showed on like TNT or or, or the cable channels that uh, that showed Hammer films because they were racier. Mm-hmm. They were the later racier Hammer films, like Vampire Circus and Horror Frankenstein and 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 Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. They were gorier. They were they had more sex, you know more nudity and and um but yeah if if anybody if you want to see what david prouse actually looks like in a film without any makeup on he's he's the circus strongman in vampire circus and he's like basically wearing like a loincloth <laughs> and he's shirtless and the dude's freaking you know he's built like crazy you know i mean he looks like a he looks like a superhero he looks like tarzan basically uh, so uh, but i wish i'd known about those movies more i'd love to have talked to him about that but yeah he was just a really uh, he was just a nice guy. He was just a, you know, he, 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 you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, somebody brought up, you know, why weren't you, you know, why didn't you get to play Anakin? And, you know, when they took, and you know, and then you could kind of tell he was getting pretty bitter about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, he didn't go into a tirade or anything, but, you know, I know there was some hurt feelings, uh, you know, all the way around with that. But uh, I tried to avoid those type of questions, you know, because <laughs> I wanted him to stay happy. But, yeah. I, you know, there's a. I got a picture that that I don't know if I went and got it printed off, and like the next day he signed it or whatever. But somehow he, you know, it's a picture of me and him, and he signed it, and he says, you know, David Prowse is Darth Vader, which is how he always signed everything. But uh, yeah, so I've got a cool little David Prowse memory. And when I saw that he had passed away, I was like, oh, you know, I I I was like, hey, I, I met that guy. I actually got to, <laughs> and not just in a in a in an autograph line. I actually got to you know, go get that guy a sandwich. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> you you reminded me that he, Prowse was connected to Star Wars, obviously, but the Superman movie franchise, Hammer movies, and also mm-hmm. James Bond, because he was in the original Casino Royale that was more of like a, uh, a spoof, sort of like that. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. And I think that came up too at some point with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Ryan and fellow Star Wars fans. This is Jared Albrecht, a.k.a. Death Probe, from the Longbox Crusade Network. I would have to say that my favorite portrayal 
of Darth Vader by David Prowse, you know, with the actual physical acting, comes at the end of Return of the Jedi, when he gets conflicted about what is happening to Luke with the Emperor killing him with Force Lightning, and it's, you know, the physical looking back and forth, and then just making that decision to save his son... It's very well acted physically. There are no lines. There is no James Earl Jones, you know, which is obviously icing on the cake for that character. But there are no lines, and he just physically acts it, and you can feel his conflict, and you can feel his ultimate decision in just the motions. And I think that was fantastic. Additionally, uh, if someone else hasn't already brought this up, I definitely have to. My favorite David Prowse thing is actually the 2015 documentary I Am Your Father. I watched it on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still available there or not, but for people who are fans of this franchise and fans of Darth Vader, I highly recommend watching the I Am Your Father documentary that features the story of David Prowse and some of the unfortunate things that went on behind the scenes on the Star Wars franchise. It was really, really cool documentary to watch, and I recommend it for anybody. He's got a story to tell, and uh, he was a fascinating gentleman. But yeah, I would say favorite physical performance, End of Jedi, and definitely check out the I Am Your Father documentary. This is Jared Albrecht, The Death Probe, from the Longbox Crusade Network, signing off. Angela Drew and Ryan Daly. So the end of Empire Strikes Back, Luke has been um, picked up by Leia, Chewie, and Lando and the Falcon. They're trying to escape. The hyperdrive is not working. C-3PO is yelling at (laughs) (laughs) R2-D2. And we have that infamous scene where um, Vader is like kind of force speaking to Luke and trying to talk him into surrendering. Mm-hmm. And it seems pretty hopeless. And then, you know, Vader is standing on the bridge of his star destroyer, looking out the front window um, as the Millennium Falcon kind of flies by with TIE fighters on its tail. And, just as they're about to grab onto the Falcon with the, the tractor beam, R2-D2 kind of flips the switch. They go into light speed and just like vanish. And then Admiral Piet, one looks like he probably like <laughs> lost control of his bowels. <laughs> and, and Vader is just looking out and then he turns his head away from the window and looks kind of like down and then turns his head back again at this odd angle. And then he just like flips his cape around and turns and walks right off the bridge. And the reactions of all the Imperials as he does this is gold. There's one guy on like a little, um, I don't know, Star Wars iPad, (laughs) like, like kind of glance, like pretends he didn't notice anything that was happening. And then just kind of like, looks like out of the corner of his eye as as Vader walks by. And everyone was just like, oh, shit, someone's gonna die. But I just (laughs) love the body language of that moment, right? Like Vader is such a powerhouse. He's either choking people or like, fighting them you know with his lightsaber or his tie fighter like he's usually like all like power and might and in that moment he just is speechless (laughs) and he has like he's just shocked into Mm non-action i like the vader and empire strikes back because i feel like the writers really figured out who he was and i and i feel like that moment like really defines him as a character mm-hmm. rather than an antagonist or, yeah. you know, a symbol or, or, or anything like that. And I just, I love how like the volumes that is spoken just through the tilting of his helmet and then tilting back and then flipping his tape. <laughs> it's the <laughs> slowest possible double take of disbelief. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. It's a very slow, very 
like almost like you know like pregnant with it's, it's like how long is he gonna make this look um and you're you're right not just speechless which which is is crucial for that scene but really this is the first time we've seen him powerless yeah. and that's kind of what makes it terrifying for everybody else in the room that's why you know that one lowly guy can't make eye contact with him because it's sort of like if we acknowledge it if he knows that we know how weak he looks in this moment he will murder all of us <laughs> no, yes. no one is getting out of this bridge alive yes. <laughs> so, so it's very, getting like, off the ship yeah. so he, he is simultaneously the most powerless he has ever been because they got away, but also the most dangerous and volatile. <laughs> so. And and I love that scene too, and I'm glad you picked that one because this is one where all of the credit 100% goes to David Prowse's performance and the body yeah. language and the capture. He doesn't have to share any any credit with James Earl Jones because there's no dialogue once we get to that. So it's just about the physicality, the menace. Oh, that's that slow double take. Like, Really? Did they really get away? Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Yeah. And and that slow walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Darth Vader moment. It's it, I've I gotta have so many between the, the all three of those movies, but what I've come around to lately one of my favorite Vader moments is a scene that's not even really about Darth Vader. It's a scene that's all about Han and Leia. And it's when they're taken to the carbon freezing chamber in Bespin. Mm-hmm. And like for so many reasons, it's a, it's a masterful scene because it does so much character work. You see what's going on as Han Solo is effectively being led to his execution. It's an execution scene. Nobody knows if he's going to live or die from that. We don't know. The characters don't know. Um, for as far as they know, this is this experiment has never been tried on a human being. That's what Lando says. And Darth Vader doesn't care if Han or if Han lives or dies. He only cares in as much as if Han dies, they've got to come up with a new plan for Luke in the next fifteen minutes. But it's really that scene is about Han, a beloved character, going to his death, and really the anguish of Leia knowing yeah. now and being able to admit to herself as much as to him that she is in love with him. And seeing him go off to his death. And Chewie, and, and when Vader just very dismissively put him in, Chewie lashes out the way, a, the way a pet does, the way an animal does when you go after its master. And he starts throwing stormtroopers off the edge and everything. And my, my favorite little minor Vader moment is in that moment with Chewie starts lashing out, Boba Fett quick draws his rifle to blast Chewie. And Vader just very casually, effortlessly, put your damn gun down, idiot. He just like swipes his gun away and he's like, don't waste your ammo. Don't shoot over there. I need those people alive at least for the next five seconds. It's like, you're, it's like, you're not going to ruin. It's like, my guys will get him under control. This is an, an important experiment and you're not going to ruin it by, you know, you know, going crazy with your blaster. That's why I told you no disintegrations. So just that really simple gesture when Boba Fett quick draws invaders, just put your damn gun down. I, I love that moment because yeah. he, to him, they're not worth shooting. He's like, he, he needs them, but only for so much. And then once, once Han is lowered and the the carbon, the gas just shoots up and fills the room. There's a shot where it's just a close up of the gas spreading, like evaporating in front of Vader's helmet, and it's so oh, so wonderful. Yeah, there's a lot of really beautiful shots in the carbon freezing chamber. It's my favorite location in the in yeah. the entire saga, possibly like any movie in terms of just the location, the way it's lit. I mean, it looks like hell, but it's this creepy science fiction version of hell because it's all neon lights. Yeah, no, it's gorgeous. Like every every shot of Vader is like really compelling and and like poster worthy, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just like it's really great. It's a horrible plan, but the <laughs> the scene is great. It looks awesome, which I'm sure is what he was going for. He's like, this is gonna look great. <laughs> I guess they were they had a limited they had a limited capacity for how to capture and contain a, a somebody who had the force at the, at their disposal. So, <laughs> so they, they use food storage? <laughs> well when you put it that way. <laughs> or gas storage, I don't know. I don't know. What were they freezing in carbonate? <laughs> uh gas. It was for Tabana gas, which was used for 
to to in the manufacture of like blaster weapons and stuff like that. It was like yeah, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like the, the equivalent of like putting them in a like a oil barrel. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> That's a really sexy plan. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a quick promo break right now, and then I will be back with listener feedback from the previous episode. Don't go away. Okay, so a new podcast needs a new promo. I mean, how do I start? I'm J. David Weeder. You may know me from the internet. I didn't invent the internet, but the internet was invented for me. No, that's way too egotistical. Uh, It's got to be awesome. It's got to catch everybody's attention. Also tell people what the show is about. So first things first, high energy pop music from the 80s. Hi, I'm J. David Weeder, here to tell you about my new podcast, Spockward, a Star Trek podcast where I will talk about Star Trek twice a month. I guess, I guess that's pretty much it. Wow, it feels like there should be something more there, something grand and something epic. It also has to sum the show up, but I don't want to sound desperate. Maybe I should try another take, but this time there needs to be some epic epicness to it. Let's try this. In a world. Oops, 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 let me try that again. In a universe replete with Star Trek podcasts, one guy will challenge the status quo by boldly talking about Star Trek on the first and third Sunday of every month. Yeah, I probably had it right the first time. Spockword, a Star Trek podcast on the first and third Sunday of every month at Spockword.com or wherever podcasts are accessed. It's Star Trek fandom with a heaping helping of social awkwardness. Spockword, you get it? Yeah, you get it. See you at Spockword.com. Weeder out. Did I really just say Weeder out? Come on. On the last episode, Omar Yudin and I discussed the five Disney Star Wars movies through a much more favorable lens, focusing on what we liked, which is a lot, and I certainly felt better about Star Wars as a whole after that. We also ranked all of the movies, and a lot of the feedback we received was from listeners providing their own orders. The first comment we got was from David Ace Gutierrez, who knows all about finding his joy and not letting petty things bother you. David said, So the main idea to take away from this show is turn off your brain and you'll like these movies. I can do that. I love Highlander. Then David's list from first to last really quick is The Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, Solo, Rogue One, Return of the Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker, The Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, and Attack of the Clones. And of Attack of the Clones, David quoted Dale Gribble from King of the Hill, Nobody cares, Bill. Love that. Uh, Chris Franklin from JLU Cast and other shows here on the Fire and Water Network said, As I said the last time Omar was on, I don't get all the hate for the sequels. My biggest criticism of them comes down to Lucasfilm Top Brass, probably laying this at Kathleen Kennedy, for not having a plan mapped out for the three films. I think a little Feige-esque planning and desire to follow through would have left a lot of folks with a better taste for these. But I really enjoy the series overall. And then Chris's ranked order, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, The Force Awakens, Solo, The Rise of Skywalker, Return of the Jedi, The Last Jedi, Rogue One, Revenge of the Sith, The Phantom Menace, and Attack of the Clones. Uh, And then Chris added, I am totally down for a Leia Disney Plus series or movie. Millie Bobby Brown would be perfect. That is a good choice. I I can definitely see her playing a very young Princess Leia. That would be really, really cool to kind of see her as she's uh, growing up in the shadow of her father and sort of learning the ins and outs of the Senate and kind of becoming a burgeoning rebel. I think, yeah, that would would be awesome. Uh, Brian Linton said, Enjoyed your discussion of the sequel-era movies and found myself agreeing with a lot of the points you both made about each movie. Uh, Then Brian gave his own impressions of the five Disney movies, and at the end of his comment, he said, Finally, my idea for a series based on a sequel-era character would be one about Lore Santeca, set during the time of the Empire. The series would follow his adventures as he explored the galaxy and sought out the lost secrets of the Jedi. I really like that idea, Brian. Uh, for anyone not familiar with the name Lor Santeca, uh, that's the character played by Max von Sydow in the opening of The Force Awakens. And yeah, he was this famous explorer and traveler searching for legendary artifacts. Definitely a story set in his past. 
depending on how far it goes back. I mean, you could make him a more physical character like an Indiana Jones or a Laura Croft Tomb Raider type of thing. Uh, but however you go, there's a lot to play with exploring new worlds and ancient customs in the Star Wars galaxy. That's endless possibility, I think. Plus, what little we know of it... I mean, in the movie, the way he refers to Leia as royalty, I kind of assumed from that that he was from Alderaan, so maybe you can tie him to Leia or Bail Organa somehow. Um, anyway, I, I, yeah, I think that's a cool idea, Brian. Uh, next comment came from Paul Hicks from Waiting for Doom and DC OCD. Paul referred to our three-hour episode as a great mini-episode. Perhaps you could do a deeper dive later. <sighs> and then Paul's ranking of the films is Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Rogue One, Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens, Solo, The Last Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker, Attack of the Clones, The Phantom Menace, and Revenge of the Sith. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody else rank Attack of the Clones as the best of the three prequels. Very interesting. Well, might have to talk about that. Uh, my brother, Neil Daly, provided an honorable mention, which is the fan film Star Wars SC-38 Reimagined. This is basically a redo of the lightsaber duel between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi aboard the Death Star, but it gives the characters and the action a lot more energy, a lot more immediacy and danger. It is exceptionally well done. The stunt choreography and the cinematography, top-notch. Uh, so, yeah, the people who want to slot that into the movie when they rewatch Star Wars, I, I can see the appeal to that. Because uh, Neil said, With the Vader sequence at the end of Rogue One, I can't watch A New Hope anymore without inserting that fan film fight. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I understand it. Uh, and Brian Linton commented again, I think a top 10 Star Wars fan films episode of Give Me Those Star Wars would be interesting. Well, you know, I know a guy who does a fan film podcast, so it's definitely possible. Uh, Tom Panneries from Pop Culture Affidavit and the Required Reading Podcast with Tom and Stella said, Can you believe this is my first time listening to this show? No, I, I frankly can't. I'm a little hurt. Uh, he, Tom says, I had grown tired of Star Wars in recent years, especially after the way the fandom had become completely toxic with podcasters I used to enjoy listening to either dropped talking about it altogether or did nothing but complain about Kathleen Kennedy. So this was not only a breath of fresh air, now I want to go back and listen to the others. Well, I can't, <laughs> I can't promise that you won't get those two things. I can't promise that you won't get some negativity of mine. Uh, I, I am guilty of some of that toxic fandom. Well, I think I, I think I more or less turned off my fandom rather than letting it get that that degree of hostility. But I, I don't remember. It's the last couple of years were kind of a, a fog of Star Wars blankness. Anyway. Uh. Michael Kramer said, I won't go into my rankings or favorites because they pretty much line up with yours. The funny thing that occurred to me was the hard reaction that everyone had about Poe being a spice runner. Han Solo was a spice runner. Okay. The thing that bothered me the most about that reveal in The Rise of Skywalker was, to me, Poe Dameron felt like career military to me. Like, if you've only seen the movies I don't know, maybe you didn't have the same impression of that. Maybe you thought it a little bit different. But the books and the comics, what little I've read, established that Poe's parents were in the Rebel Alliance. His mother was an A-Wing pilot during the Battle of Endor, and his father was one of the Special Forces troops in Han Solo's assault team on the forest moon. And with how much he seems to worship Leia in the movies, I always pictured Poe as kind of an army brat. And as a pilot from a family of pilots and soldiers, he's very cocky and sure of himself. He's like Maverick from Top Gun, but without kind of a chip on his shoulder. Which, I, I, okay, he's more like Iceman from Top Gun. But, so to find out, oh, by the way, for a couple of years at least, this guy was running drugs for a cartel? Wait, what? This is the same character? Like I said, if you don't know his backstory, you might not have had the same impression for the character, and then it might not have bothered you. I did, and it did, but eh, whatever. It's, it's over. Andrew Leyland from the Palace of Glittering Delights and the Overlooked Dark Knight podcast said, 
This was so good, it didn't seem like three hours. Nice to see Solo getting some love, though. It's the one that most captures the golly gee whiz pew pew space opera of Star Wars since 1977, and I would totally be down with a Disney Plus follow-up, even with the caveat that the evil empire is really Disney. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Matt Ev said... I have been a rabid Star Wars fan since about 1980, but I must admit that, on balance, I prefer the sequel trilogy to the original. Comes down to characters, really. I was a Han and Chewie kid, never really connected with Luke, and wasn't really interested in his journey. Rey, on the other hand, really spoke to me, partly as a dad of a daughter. But she just had a lot more nuance, and I found her instantly compelling. So despite being a long-term Star Wars fan, this was the first time I was directly emotionally involved with the lead character, which it turns out makes a massive difference. Similarly, I found Kylo a lot more engaging character than Vader ever was. And whenever Ridley and Driver were on screen together, any other gripes I have about those movies just melt away. Absolute gold. That is very cool, and very interesting to hear someone prefer the sequel trilogy who isn't, like, a, a kid or millennial or sort of of that generation this, this set of movies was made for, necessarily. That's fascinating, but uh, yeah, I, I love hearing that. That's cool. Uh, and Matt provided his list, too. He said, The Empire Strikes Back, The Last Jedi, Rogue One, The Force Awakens, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Solo, Return of the Jedi... Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones, and The Phantom Menace. Mike Dines said, I agree with Omar, let's keep this thing going. I am definitely interested in seeing new movies, but I think they would be best served if they weren't done like the Marvel way of putting one or two movies out a year. I would be very happy if they stuck to a movie every three to seven years. It would make... It would feel more special that way. Now, I understand Disney bought Star Wars to make money, and my plan does not help with that, but that's what I would like to see. Uh, I agree I do want to see more Star Wars movies. I don't think the rushed production of turning out one every year helped any of the last five movies. Uh, Even an extra couple of months at the script stage, I think, would have vastly improved a few of them. Uh, I would like to see Star Wars movies every two or three years. I think if it's going to be a sequential series or trilogy, like with connected stories, figure the story out in advance, and then you can release the chapters every year or maybe every two years. But for those more kind of autonomous movies, like the one-offs, yeah, those could be every three years or so. That's what we used to do when the trilogies were coming out. They were every three years, so we we can survive that. Uh, Mike added, I'm not going to try to change anyone's mind, but the older I get, the more I'm really enjoying the prequels. Watching them with my kids and seeing the joy in their faces when they see Jar Jar or they get excited for the big battles in Revenge of the Sith is great. However, I do agree with what Omar said that if you have to rely on a cartoon series to make your movie better, it's not a good movie. But having watched the cartoon, it does make it better, so I guess I'm one of those fans. I definitely understand where you're coming from, and I will say this kind of goes back to the show that Omar and I did like six or seven months ago. Um, I don't hate the Star Wars prequels anymore. Like, I mean, I I used to actively, genuinely hate them. Like, with you know, in in my in my cells, uh, that's not the case anymore. I I've, I've mellowed. I think part of it is the influence of seeing. Clone Wars, part of it is just time and and realizing that there was an audience for those movies that genuinely loves them as much as I love the classic trilogy and other stuff. So it's just, yeah, it's it's hard to feel that negative uh, about about something like that. It'll, for me, at least, it is. And I don't hate them. And, and I know that for a lot of people, The Phantom Menace is the worst movie. There's still a lot in The Phantom Menace that I like. Not enough that I would say it's a good movie, not enough that I would say I like the movie, but there is a lot in there that I enjoy and I can look for. Um, when it comes to the others, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, it's not hatred, it's more ambivalence, acceptance. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, that's that's how it is. So, And if and if people still enjoy those, um, and, and especially with the, the Clone Wars and seeing their, their new levels of popularity because of events in The Mandalorian... Yeah, I totally get looking at the prequels with a new eye and more accepting, more just 
yeah, what do you gotta so uh, a few more comments. Siskoid from Gimme That Star Trek and other shows on the Fire and Water Network said, Great show, and you know how I know? Because you made me kind of want to watch all of the films, even the prequels. Omar is a quality guest. I I will tell him you said so. I'm sure he knows, but yeah, cool. Uh, And finally, Tim Price from The Outcasters said, So the next episode needs to rank the animated series. God, I hope you mean like the overall bunches of series and not ranking individual episodes. That would never, ever get done. Um, Sure, but but you know what? When it comes to ranking the cartoons, nothing is going to beat droids for me, and that's just because of the old theme song. I'm in trouble again. Anyway, that is it. Uh, Wow, got a lot of great feedback on this last one, uh, and I love it when discussions generate this much talk with the audience, so thank you so much. This will be the last Give Me Those Star Wars for this year, but we will be back in 2021 with some thoughts on The Mandalorian, naturally. And especially, I've already got something planning with a few guests focusing on Ahsoka Tano and her jump from the animated world of Clone Wars and Rebels to live action in The Mandalorian. How was that handled? What do we think are the pros and cons and possible ramifications of this decision? We'll find out and we'll discuss that. Plus, in January, there is a new set of books coming out called Light of the Jedi. These were supposed to drop last July, but they got postponed. I don't know if it was due to the pandemic, and maybe the publisher thought the book sales would be too low. Not sure. Uh, But whatever it is, there's a novel by Charles Soule. Uh, There's a young adult reader book and a kid's book in this first wave. Uh, And then there's supposed to be a lot more after that, but these books are all set a couple hundred years before Star Wars Episode One, So, a heretofore unexplored era with brand new villains. Hopefully they're carving out new territory that they can possibly explore in other media. Um, We'll see, but I'm looking forward to that book, and hopefully I'll get to review that on an episode next year. Uh, Okay, that's all. I want to thank all of my guests who provided their tributes to David Prowse, Rob Kelly, The Irredeemable Shag, Chris Franklin, Mark Marble, Andrew Leyland, Jared Albrecht, John and Maggie Schaefer-Hames, and Angela Drew. And in the words of the Green Cross Man, stop, look, listen. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. If you like this show or other shows on the Fire and Water Network, please consider donating to our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts for additional information. All music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. you.